Chapter 5, Part 2 of The Deluge, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Selwyn. The Deluge, Volume 2 by Heinrich Sienkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter 5, Part 2. Such grievous, painful times followed, for the unbending soul of our hero in a habit, as had not been till that hour. It was fortunate that the Swedes ceased their assaults, so as to prove more convincingly that they needed no longer either balls or cannon, that it was enough for them to ignite one little powder fuse. But for this very reason, terror increased in the cloister. In the hour of deep night it seemed to some, the most timid, that they heard underneath the earth certain sounds certain movements that the swedes were already under the cloister finally a considerable number of the monks fell in spirit those with father stradomsky at the head of them went to the prior and urged him to begin negotiations at once for surrender the greater part of the soldiers went with him and some of the nobles kordetsky appeared in the courtyard and when the throng gathered around him in a close circle he said have we not sworn to one another to defend this holy place to the last drop of our blood? In truth, I tell you that if powder hurls us forth, only our wretched bodies, only the temporary covering, will fall away and return to the earth. But the souls will not return. Heaven will open above them, and they will enter into rejoicing and happiness as into a sea without bounds. There Jesus Christ will receive them, and the Most Holy Mother will meet them and they, like golden bees, will sit on her robe, and will sink in light, and gaze on the face of the Lord. Here the reflection of that brightness was gleaming on his face. He raised his inspired eyes upward, and spoke on with a dignity and calm not of earth. O Lord, the ruler of worlds, thou art looking into my heart, and thou knowest that I am not deceiving this people when I say that, if I desired only my own happiness, I would stretch out my hands to thee and cry from the depth of my soul, O oh Lord, let powder be there, let it explode, for in such a death is redemption of sins and faults. For it is eternal rest, and thy servant is weary and toil-worn overmuch. And who would not wish a reward of such kind? For a death without pain, and as short as the twinkle of an eye, as a flash in the heavens, after which is eternity unbroken, happiness inexhaustible, joy without end. But thou hast commanded me to guard thy retreat, therefore it is not permitted me to go. Thou hast placed me on guard, therefore thou hast poured into me thy strength. And I know, O Lord, I see and feel that although the malice of the enemy were to force itself under this church, though all the powder and destructive saltpeter were placed there, it would be enough for me to make this sign of the cross above them, and they would never explode. Here he turned to the assembly and continued, God has given me this power, but do you take fear out of your hearts? My spirit pierces the earth and tells you, your enemies lie. There are no powder dragons under the church. You, people of timid hearts, you in whom fear has stifled faith, deserve not to enter the kingdom of grace and repose today. There is no powder under your feet then. God wishes to preserve this retreat so that, 
like Noah's Ark, and may be borne above the deluge of disasters and mishap. Therefore, in the name of God, for the third time I tell you, there is no powder under the church. And when I speak in his name, who will make bold to oppose me? Who will dare still to doubt? When he had said this, he was silent and looked at the throng of monks, nobles, and soldiers. But such was the unshaken faith, the conviction and power in his voice, that they were silent also, and no man came forward. On the contrary, solace began to enter their hearts, till at last one of the soldiers, a simple peasant, said, Praise to the name of the Lord. For three days they say they are able to blow up the fortress. Why do they not blow it up? Praise to the most holy lady. Why do they not blow it up? Repeated a number of voices. Then a wonderful sign was made manifest. Behold, all about them, on a sudden, was heard the sound of wings, and whole flocks of small winter birds appeared in the court of the fortress, and every moment new ones flew in from the starved country places around. Birds such as great larks, ortolans, buntings with yellow breasts, poor sparrows, green titmice, red bullfinches, sat on the slopes of the roofs, on the corners over the doors, on the church, Others flew around in a many-colored crown above the head of the prior, flapping their wings, chirping sadly as if begging for alms, and having no fear whatever of man. People present were amazed at the sight, and Kordetsky, after he had prayed for a while, said at last, See, these little birds of the forest, they come to the protection of the mother of God, but you doubt her power. Consolation and hope had entered their hearts, the monks, beating their breasts, went to the church, and the soldiers mounted the walls. Women scattered grain to the birds, which began to pick it eagerly. All interpreted the visit of these tiny forest dwellers as a sign of success to themselves, and of evil to the enemy. Fierce snows must be lying when these little birds, caring neither for shots nor the thunder of cannon, flock to our buildings, said the soldiers. But why did they fly from the Swedes to us? because the meanest creature has the wit to distinguish an enemy from a friend. That cannot be, said another soldier, for in the Swedish camp are Poles too. But it means that there must be hunger there, and a lack of oats for the horses. It means still better, said a third, that what they say of the powder is downright falsehood. How is that? asked all in one voice. Old people say, replied the soldier, that if a house is to fall, the sparrows and swallows having nests and spring under the roof, go away two or three days in advance. Every creature has sense to feel danger beforehand. Now if powder were under the cloister, these little birds would not fly to us. Is that true? As true as amen to our father. Praise to the most holy lady will be bad for the Swedes. At this moment, the sound of a trumpet was heard at the northwestern gate. All ran to see who was coming. It was a Swedish trumpeter with a letter from the camp. The monks assembled at once in the council hall. The letter was from Count Viard, and announced that if the fortress were not surrendered before the following day, it would be hurled into the air. But those who before had fallen under the weight of fear had no faith now in this threat. Those are vain threats, said the priests and the nobles together. Let us write to them not to spare us. Let them blow us up. And in fact, they answered in that sense. Meanwhile, the soldiers who had gathered around the trumpeter answered his warnings with ridicule. Good, said they to him. Why do you spare us? We will go the sooner to heaven. But the man who delivered the answering letter to the messenger said, Do not lose words and time for nothing. 
Want is gnawing you, but we lack nothing. Praise be to God. Even the birds fly away from you. In this way, Count Vyer's last trick came to nothing. And when another day had passed, it was shown with perfect proof how vain were the fears of the besieged, and peace returned to the cloister. The following day, a worthy man from Chenstova, Yatsik Buhansky, left a letter again, giving warning of a storm. Also news of the return of Jan Kazmir from Silesia, and the uprising of the whole commonwealth against the Swedes. But according to reports circling outside the walls, this was to be the last storm. Buhansky brought the letter with a bag of fish to the priest for Christmas Eve, and approached the walls disguised as a Swedish soldier. Poor man! The Swedes saw him and seized him. Miller gave command to stretch him on the rack, but the old man had heavenly visions in the time of his torture, and smiled as sweetly as a child, and instead of pain unspeakable joy was depicted on his face. The general was present at the torture, but he gained no confession from the martyr. He merely acquired the despairing conviction that nothing could bend those people, nothing could break them. Now came the old beggar woman Kostua, with a letter from Kordetsky begging most humbly that the storm be delayed during service on the day of Christ's birth. The guards and the officers received the beggar woman with insults and jeers at such an envoy, but she answered them straight in the face. No other would come, for to envoys you are as murderers, and I took the office for bread, a crust. I shall not be long in this world. I have no fear of you. If you do not believe, you have me in your hands. But no harm was done her. What is more, Miller, eager to try conciliation again, agreed to the prior's request, even accepted a ransom for Buhansky, not yet tortured quite out of his life. He sent also that part of the silver found with the Swedish soldiers. He did this last out of malice to Count Fired, who after the failure of the mine had fallen into disfavor again. At last Christmas Eve came. With the first star, lights great and small began to shine all around in the fortress. The night was still, frosty but clear. The Swedish soldiers, stiffened with cold in the entrenchments, gazed from below on the dark walls of the unapproachable fortress, and to their minds came the warm Scandinavian cottages stuffed with moss, their wives and children, the fir tree gleaming with lights, and more than one iron breast swelled with a sigh, with regret, with homesickness, with despair. But in the fortress, at tables covered with hay, the besieged were breaking wafers. A quiet joy was shining in all faces, for each one had the foreboding, almost the certainty that the hours of suffering would soon be at an end. Another storm tomorrow, but that will be the last, repeated the priests and the soldiers. Let him to whom God will send death give thanks that the Lord lets him be present at Mass, and thus opens more surely heaven's gates, for whoso dies for the faith on the day of Christ's birth must be received into glory. They wish one another success, long years, or a heavenly crown. And so relief dropped into every heart, as if suffering were over already. But there stood one empty chair near the prior, before it a plate on which was a package of white wafers bound with a blue ribbon. When all had sat down, no one occupied that place. Zamovsky said, I see, reverend father, that according to ancient custom there are places for men outside the cloister. Not for men outside, said Father Augustine, but as a remembrance of that young man whom we loved as a son, and whose soul is looking with pleasure upon us because we keep him in eternal memory. As God lives, replied Zimlowski, 
He is happier now than we. We owe him due thanks. Kordetsky had tears in his eyes, and Charnetsky said, They write of smaller men in the chronicles, and God gives me life, and anyone asks me hereafter, who is there among us the equal of ancient heroes? I shall say Babinich. Babinich was not his name, said Kordetsky. How not Babinich? I long knew his real name under the seal of confession, but when going out against that cannon, he said to me, If I perish, let men know who I am, so that honorable repute may rest with my name and destroy my former misdeeds. He went, he perished. Now I can tell you that he was Kamita. That renowned Lithuanian Kamita? cried Charnetsky, seizing his forelock. The same. How the grace of God changes hearts. For God's sake, now I understand why he took that work. Now I understand where he got that daring, that boldness, in which he surpassed all men. Kamita. Kamita. The terrible Kamita whom Lithuania celebrates. Henceforth not only Lithuania, but the whole commonwealth will glorify him in a different manner. He was the first to warn us against Count Vyard. Through his advice, we closed the gates in good season and made preparations. He killed the first Swede with a shot from a bow. And how many of their cannon did he spoil? Who brought down Defossus? And that siege gun! If we are not terrified at the storm of tomorrow, who is the cause? Let each remember him with honor and celebrate his name wherever possible so that justice be done, said Kordetsky. And now may God give him eternal rest. And may the everlasting light shine on him, answered one chorus of voices. But Pan Charnyetsky was unable for a long time to calm himself, and his thoughts were continually turning to Kamita. I tell you, gentlemen, that there was something of such kind in that man, that though he served as a simple soldier, the command of itself crawled at once to his hand, so that it was a wonder to me how people obeyed such a young man unwittingly. In fact, he was commander on the bastion, and I obeyed him myself. Oh, had I known him then to be Kamita! Still it is a wonder to me, said Zamovsky, that the Swedes have not boasted of his death. Kordetsky sighed. The powder must have killed him on the spot. I would let a hand be cut for me, could he be alive again, cried Charnetsky. But such a Kamita let himself be blown up by powder. He gave his life for ours, said Kordetsky. It is true, added Zamovsky, that if that cannon were lying in the entrenchment, I should not think so pleasantly of tomorrow. Tomorrow, God will give us a new victory, said the prior, for the Ark of Noah cannot be lost in the deluge. Thus they conversed with one another on Christmas Eve, and then separated, the monks going to the church, the soldiers some to quiet rest, and others to keep watch on the walls and at the gates. But great care was superfluous, for in the Swedish camp there reigned unbroken calm. They had given themselves to rest and meditation, for to them, too, was approaching a most serious day. The night was solemn. Legions of stars twinkled in the sky, changing into blue and rosy colors. The light of the moon changed to green, the shrouds of snow stretching between the fortress and the hostile camp. The wind did not howl, and it was calm, as from the beginning of the siege it had not been near the cloister. At midnight, the Swedish soldiers heard the flow of the mild and grand tones of the organ. Then the voices of men were joined with them. Then the sounds of bells, large and small, joy, consolation, and great calm were in those sounds. And the greater was the doubt, the greater the feeling of helplessness, which weighed down the hearts of the Swedes. 
the polish soldiers from the commands of zbroyak and kalinsky without seeking permission went up to the very walls they were not permitted to enter through fear of some snare but they were permitted to stand near the walls they also collected together some knelt on the snow others shook their heads pitifully sighing over their own lot or beat their breasts promising repentance and all heard with delight and with tears in their eyes the music and the hymns sung according to ancient usage at the same time the sentries on the walls who could not be in the church wishing to make up for their loss began also to sing and soon was heard throughout the whole circuit of the walls the christmas hymn he is lying in the manger whom will run to greet the little stranger in the afternoon of the following day the thunder of guns drowned again every other sound all the entrenchments began to smoke simultaneously the earth trembled on its foundations as of old there flew on the roof of the church heavy balls bombs grenades and torches fixed in cylinders pouring a rain of melted lead and naked torches knots and ropes never had the thunder been so unceasing never till then had such a river of fire and iron fallen on the cloister but among the swedish guns was not that great gun which alone could crush the wall and make a breach necessary for assault but the besieged were so accustomed to fire that each man knew what he had to do and the defence went in its ordinary course without command fire was answered with fire missile with missile but better aimed for with more calmness toward evening miller went out to see by the last rays of the setting sun the results and his glance fell on the tower outlined calmly on the background of the sky the cloister will stand for the ages of ages cried he beside himself amen answered zebroyak quietly in the evening a council was assembled again at headquarters still more gloomy than usual miller opened it himself the storm of to-day said he has brought no result our powder is nearly consumed half of our men are lost the rest discouraged they look for disasters not victory we have no supplies cannot expect reinforcements but the cloister stands unmoved as on the first day of the siege added sadovsky what remains for us disgrace i have received orders said the general to finish quickly or retreat to prussia what remains to us repeated the prince of hesse all eyes were turned to count viard who said to save our honor a short broken laugh more like the gnashing of teeth came from miller who is called poljortsets the count wishes to teach us how to raise the dead said he count viard acted as though he had not heard him only the slain have saved their honor said sadovsky miller began to lose his cool blood and that cloister stands there yet that yasnagora that henhouse i have not taken it and we withdraw is this a dream or am i speaking in my senses that cloister stands there yet that yasnagora repeated word for word the prince of hesse and we shall withdraw defeated a moment of silence followed it seemed as though the leader and his subordinates found a certain wild pleasure in bringing to mind their shame and defeat now count viard said slowly and emphatically it has happened more than once in every war that a besieged fortress has ransomed itself from the besiegers who then went away as victors for whoso pays a ransom by this same recognizes himself as defeated the officers who at first listened to the words of the speaker with scorn and contempt now began to listen more attentively let that cloister pay us any kind of ransom continued the count then no one will say that we cannot take it but that we did not wish to take it will they agree asked the prince of hesse 
I will lay down my head, answered Count Viard, and more than that, my honor as a soldier. Can that be? asked Sadowski. We have enough of the siege, but have they enough? What does your worthiness think of this? Miller turned to Viard. Many grievous moments, most grievous of my life, have I passed because of your counsels, Sir Count. But for this last advice, I thank you, and will be grateful. All breasts breathe more freely. There could be no real question but that of retreating with honor. On the morrow, the day of St. Stephen, the officers assembled to the last man to hear Kordetsky's answer to Miller's letter, which proposed a ransom, and was sent in the morning. They had to wait long. Miller feigned joyousness, but constraint was evident on his face. No one of the officers could keep his place. All hearts beat unquietly. The Prince of Hesse and Zadowski stood under the window, conversing in a low voice. "'What do you think?' asked the first. "'Will they agree?' "'Everything indicates that they will agree.' "'Who would not wish to be rid of such terrible danger come what may, at the price of a few tens of thousands of thalers, especially since monks have not worldly ambition and military honor, or at least should not have? I only fear that the general has asked too much.' "'How much has he asked?' Forty thousand from the monks, and twenty thousand from the nobles, but in the worst event, they will try to reduce the sum. Let us yield, in God's name, let us yield. If they have not the money, I would prefer to lend them my own, if they would let us go with even the semblance of honor. But I tell your princely highness, that though I recognize the Count's advice this time is good, and I believe they will ransom themselves, such a fever is gnawing me, that I would prefer ten storms to this waiting. Oof, you are right, but still this Count Viard may go high. Even as high as the gibbet, said the other. But the speakers did not foresee that a worse fate than even the gibbet was awaiting Count Viard. That moment the thunder of cannon interrupted further conversation. What is that? Firing from the fortress? cried Miller, and springing up like a man possessed, he ran out of the room. All ran after him and listened. The sound of regular salvos came indeed from the fortress. "'Are they firing inside, or what?' cried Miller. "'I don't understand.' "'I will explain to your worthiness,' said Zabroyak. "'This is St. Stephen's Day, and the name's day of the Zamovskis, father and son. "'The firing is in their honor.' "'With that, shouts of applause were heard from the fortress, and after them new salvos. "'They have powder enough,' said Miller gloomily. "'That is for us a new indication.' "'But fate did not spare him another very painful lesson.' The Swedish soldiers were so discouraged and fallen in spirit that at the sound of the firing from the fortress the detachments guarding the nearest entrenchments deserted them in panic. Miller saw one whole regiment, the musketeers of Smaland, taking refuge in disorder at his own quarters. He heard, too, how the officers repeated among themselves at this sight, It is time! It is time! It is time to retreat! But by degrees everything grew calm. One crushing impression remained. The leader and after him the subordinates entered the room and waited, waited impatiently. Even the face of Count Viard, till then motionless, betrayed disquiet. At last, the clatter of spurs were heard in the antechamber, and the trumpeter entered, all red from the cold, his mustaches covered with his frozen breath. An answer from the cloister, said he, giving a large packet wound up in a colored handkerchief bound with a string. Miller's hands trembled somewhat, and he chose to cut the string with a dagger, rather than to open it slowly. A number of pairs of eyes were fixed on the packet. The officers were breathless. The general unwound one roll of the cloth, a second, and a third, unwound with increasing haste. 
till at last a package of wafers fell on the table. Then he grew pale, and though no one asked what was in the package, he said, Wafers! Nothing more? asked someone in the crowd. Nothing more, answered the general. Look an echo. A moment of silence followed, broken only by panting. At times, too, was heard the gritting of teeth, at times the rattling of rapiers. Count fired, said Miller at last with a terrible and ill-omened voice. He is no longer here, answered one of the officers. Again, silence followed. That night, movement reigned in the whole camp. Scarcely was the light of day quenched when voices of command were heard, the hurrying of considerable divisions of cavalry, the sound of measured steps of infantry, the neighing of horses, the squeaking of wagons, the dull thump of cannon, with the biting of iron, the rattle of chains, noise, bustle, and turmoil. "'Will there be a new storm in the morning?' asked the guards at the gates. But they were unable to see, for since twilight the sky was covered with clouds, and abundant snow had begun to fall. Its frequent flakes excluded the light. About five o'clock in the morning, all sounds had ceased, but the snow was falling still more densely, and the walls and battlements had had created new walls and battlements. It covered the whole cloister and church, as if wishing to hide them from the glance of the enemy, to shelter and cover them from iron missiles. At last the air began to grow gray, and the bell commenced tolling for morning service, when the soldier standing guard at the southern gate heard the snorting of a horse. Before the gate stood a peasant, all covered with snow. Behind him was a low, small wooden sleigh drawn by a thin, shaggy horse. The peasant fell to striking his body with his arms, to jumping from one foot to the other and crying, People, but open here! Who is alive? they asked from the walls. Your own, from Dispoff. I have brought game for the benefactors. And how did the Swedes let you come? What Swedes? Those who are besieging the church. Oh, ho, there are no Swedes now. Praise God, every soul, have they gone? The tracks behind them are covered. With that, crowds of villagers and peasants blackened the road, some riding, others on foot. There were women, too, and all began to cry from afar. There are no Swedes. There are none. They have gone to Vienlunia. Open the gates. There is not a man in the camp. The Swedes have gone. The Swedes have gone, cried men on the walls, and the news ran around like lightning. Soldiers rushed to the bells and rang them all as if for an alarm. Every living soul rushed out of the cells, the dwellings in the church. The news thundered all the time. The court was swarming with monks, nobles, soldiers, women, and children. Joyful shouts were heard around. Some ran out on the walls to examine the empty camp. Others burst into laughter or into sobs. Some would not believe yet, but new crowds came continually, peasants and villagers. They came from Chenstova, from the surrounding villages, and from the forest nearby, noisily, joyously, and with singing. New tidings crossed one another each moment. All had seen the retreating Swedes, and told in what direction they were going. A few hours later, the slope and the plain before the mountain were filled with people. The gates of the cloister were open wide, as they had been before the siege, and all the bells were ringing, 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 and those voices of triumph flew to the distance, and then the whole commonwealth heard them. The snow was covering and covering the tracks of the Swedes. About noon of that day, the church was so filled with people that head was as near head as on a paved street in a city one stone is near another. Father Kordetsky himself celebrated the Thanksgiving Mass, and to the throng of people it seemed that a white angel was celebrating it, and it seemed to them also that he was singing out his soul in that Mass, or that it was borne heavenward in the smoke of the incense, and was expanding in praise to the Lord. 
The thunder of cannon shook not the walls, nor the glass in the windows, nor covered the people with dust, nor interrupted prayer, nor that thanksgiving hymn which amid universal ecstasy and weeping, the holy prior was intoning, Te Deum Laudamus. End of chapter 5, part 2, read by Elsie Selwyn, 